0: I'm thankful as Marcus was sharing the children's lesson about the boy that brought his lunch, but it fed the 5,000, so I feel like I got a little lunch for you, and uh, hopefully you'll go away satisfied. Now usually, um, I like to see some continuity in the messages, Um, you know, they flow together, and I was trying to figure out how that's going to work today, but I, I trust it will. <clears throat> uh, Andrew spoke of faith alone, and as I listened to his message and his title, I, I figured, you know, in light of that, I should probably call mine faith that inspires action. <clears throat> so I don't, don't want to overshadow anything, I appreciate what you shared, <clears throat> but mine is more... Um, you know, in in light of what Andrew shared, uh, this would probably have to be called faith that inspires action. However, I had originally titled it "A Liberal Soul Made Fat." <clears throat> so, um, I think in our society, it's different in some societies, but in our society, the word "fat" is no longer appreciated. Because it's we're all trying not to be, trying not to be that, but um, if you look in the scripture, it's a good thing, <clears throat> to a measure. Um, so, yeah, that would be my title, A Liberal Soul Made Fat. <clears throat> and I also appreciated what Andrew shared about knowing God's character, and that was, that It really goes along with what I'm going to speak on here. So this message, um, I felt God led me to it, and I felt it was a real need in my life. Um, Just reviving a liberal soul, I guess you could say, within me. So I'm going to be sharing this, um, and I hope you can be blessed by it. First in Proverbs 11, 24 and 26, I'm going to start off with that. It says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn... The people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. <clears throat> now, Darrell, I don't believe that means you shouldn't store your corn in your green bins. <clears throat> I believe that means when there's people that are hungry, not to withhold our food from them. <clears throat> so I'm going to kind of springboard off of that. Um, just seeking uh, on the topic of being a liberal soul. I have uh, three points to give you kind of an outline of of what I'm going to be speaking on. The first one is the generosity that we're called to. Number two is giving the gospel. Number three, what hinders our generosity. And number four, the vastness of our supply in God. So as I read there in Proverbs, um, He that scattereth increases. If you withhold more than his meat, it tendeth to poverty. These verses lay out the principle that as you give, you get. And as you hoard, you lose. So that's what I'm going to be focusing at. um, Just exhorting us to be a liberal soul. <clears throat> so I'm going to go to First John chapter three for a couple verses there. 14 through 18. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer, and we know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother in need, And shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I guess as I look at this, it's like the litmus test uh, to determine if the love of God is within us. It's, you know, that the way I understand a litmus test is like an acid test. It gives you an instant reading. And uh, this, this first, these verses here give us that exact test. Um, if you see your brother have need and you shut up your bowels of compassion to him, how do you have the love of God, he asks. Um, so it's a very, I guess you could say, a very black and white test. Do we have the love of God within us? <clears throat> So the early church shows us an example of sacrifice for Christ and the church in Acts 4.32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now, I don't think this is necessarily a requirement in the church, um, but I think it is definitely... An ideal to have that mind in us that we're not saying everything we have is this is mine and that's yours, but having more all things in common, which would go along with the previous verse. I'm going to read in Matthew 6. I'm going to be reading a fair bit of scriptures here, probably not making a whole lot of comments on them. And, uh, you know, as I studied them, these scriptures are powerful. If you really, if you really let the meaning settle into you, uh, they speak volumes of themselves. <clears throat> so Matthew six nineteen through 21 Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, Christ designs not to deprive us of our treasure, but to direct us in the choice of it. And here we have a good caution against making the things that are seen, that are temporal, our best things and placing our happiness in them. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Now, it, it speaks of... Well, like I just read, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And uh, I got a comment I got here. I don't actually remember where I got it anymore. But the only way to render perishing goods eternal, to secure stately furniture from moth and the richest metals from canker and precious stones from thieves is to transmit them to heaven by acts of charity. This is a kind of bill of exchange which, can, which cannot fail of acceptance but through our own fault. So, um, you know, I don't don't read this to put condemnation on you if you you own things, which we all do, but I think it's as an exhortation and encouragement that we, by acts of charity, lay up treasures in heaven. I'm going to go into Luke. <clears> 22, <throat> 25 through 27, and he said unto them, the king's of the gentiles exercise lordship over them and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors but ye shall not be so but he that is greatest among you let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that doth serve for whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth is not he that sitteth at meat but i am among you as he that serveth ye are they which have continued me with me In my temptations. So I'll stop there. So Jesus taught and left an example that to give and to serve is the path to follow Him. This is what a generous heart does, it finds a way to serve others. And that's what Jesus, though the Son of God, spent his life in service to others. Galatians 6, 9-10 through 10 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So in 1 Corinthians 12... 12 to 27, now this is speaking of the body of Christ, the church. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And... uh, you may be thinking, so what does that have to do with being a liberal soul? Um, and I guess I wanted to make clear that being liberal is more than just giving a physical means. Um, it's it's giving of yourself uh, for those that have need. <clears throat> and that's something I'll get into more later, but um, my wife and I actually had a discussion of that, and I, I learned something from it. Uh, Kind of my. For some reason, my interpretation of being liberal and giving meant you reach in your pocket and you had some money and you go do your own thing and do your own go your own way. Um, but there's another side to giving, and that is giving of your time, your means, and uh, giving of a listening ear. Um, there's a lot of things, and that's why I read this here. Speaking of the body, of uh, the members. In the body that are uncomely, and that would, you know, I, I basically take it to mean the, the less attractive ones, and I don't mean physically, but the less, um, whatever, you know how to fill that in. Uh, do, we, do we give ourselves to them? It says that they get more abundant honor. And that's always kind of made me scratch my head because the, the less attractive parts of the body, and you give them even more attention. More um, honor, it says here. I guess we like those that um, give something to us. Maybe that's why we're not so inclined this way. But my exhortation here is that we seek to better those that are less comely and uh, you know I've been in multiple churches in my life and one thing I've discovered in that in every church I'm not sure how to say this I don't want to be offensive, but it seems in every church there's a peripheral crowd Um, you got your core crowd and then you got those in the fringes Uh, unfortunately it's the way it goes according to what this says here It's the uncomely parts that we're to give more honor. We're to seek to give to those that have the least. So I guess that's where I'm trying to go with reading that there. Um, We don't just focus on uh, the charismatic, uh, those that we can get something from. um, But we focus on those that have less and we can give something to. If that makes sense. so something that i've been guilty of quite often and uh, i've been on both ends of this is we'll meet each other at times and i'm not trying to condemn anyone but we we ask so how are you doing and and then the person begins to answer And it might be a lengthy, detailed, maybe even a messy answer. And we soon pull back and send them the vibe that I don't have time for this or interest in what you're trying to say. You know, do we have time for the uncomely parts? And I confess, I've often done this, I believe, is that you can kind of pass and say, how are you doing? And the brothers like really wanted an ear to hear, someone to hear him. And he goes about to pour out his troubles, and you all of a sudden say, well, you know, I really didn't want to hear this. I'm going to go on my way. Um, Do we have time for the uncomely parts? And I think a liberal, generous soul will have time for those people that just need an ear to hear Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And that goes along with that. Do we in honor prefer one another? Um, I think kind of subconsciously we have a a status level. Do we honor those that are less honorable? Okay, so I'm going to go into... Matthew twenty-five. This is probably speaking of more. At least I would regard it as more outside the body, outside the church, but it not necessarily has to be. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. Through forty six. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat; I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink; I was a stranger, and ye took me in; naked, and ye clothed me; I was sick, and ye visited me; I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Now I am going to just interject here. Something I noticed in studying this that there is. Six things he lays out, six conditions or actions that they either did or did not do. Of those six actions, half of them are actual giving of physical things, and half of them are an act of giving of yourself in ministering to those that have need. If you you can you can notice that if you look at it, it's it was kind of revelation to me that um Half of these things are actual physical giving, but half of them are giving of yourself. Okay, I'm going to start over back at verse 35. I think is where it was. For I wasn't hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me, I was sick, and ye visited me, I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. "'Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. "'Then shall they also answer him, saying, "'Lord, when saw we thee an hungered or a thirst, or a stranger, "'or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? "'Then shall we answer them, saying, "'Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, "'ye did it not to me. "'And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, "'but the righteous unto life eternal.'" So this has always been um, something that has caught my attention, is that they were judged on their actions. What they did or did not do. And and like I said, um, you know, half of these things were an actual physical giving, and half of them was uh, visiting, taking them in, And visited, going into prison, and came onto them, and a stranger, and took them in. So, there are three acts of not necessarily physical giving, and three acts of physical giving. So, we need to be careful that we're not off balance in our giving, preferring one method above another. And, uh, you know, as I thought of it, my tendency would be if someone needs help, you just, you know, write them a check, hand them some cash, and you're good, you can go your way. And I think it's just, a, it's just a cheap way of saying I've helped them. I mean, it's fine. We've got to do that. But um, let's not neglect the other needs that are there. <clears throat> so and there's a, uh, my point number two is giving of the gospel. <clears throat> we know that Jesus and the disciples did much in meeting the needs, meeting the physical needs of the people that they met. But it still seems like the majority of what they did was bringing the gospel of salvation to the people where they went. So we know we did a person good if they are naked and we give them clothing or if they are hungry and we give them food. But are we convinced that we are doing them good if we give them the gospel and teach them to follow the disciplines of it? Are we convinced of our good news? I'm going to read in Acts 4. This has always been an inspiring account to me of Peter and John. Starting at verse 13. Now when they saw, I'm just kind of breaking into this account, not to read the whole thing. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For then indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, as manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straitly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, Judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And uh, I've always appreciated that. They cannot speak of the things they've seen and heard. <clears throat> so they, they did not show any miserliness with the gospel that they had, but they willingly gave them all they could. <clears throat> so are we stingy with the gospel that we've been given? We've got all this gospel. Are we stingy with it? I think it's a good question. Um, Are we miserly with the word of God that we have? Let us be convinced that the gospel is truly good news and we ourselves will be moved to speak of the things that we've seen and heard. So in being generous and in giving also is part of Giving the word of God to, giving the gospel to those that need it. So, point number three what hinders our generosity? I think we can subconsciously have the thought that we can't be generous with others because we don't believe that God has been generous with us. And, uh, you know, I don't think we would ever. I think few of us would actually say that, but somehow, I think subconsciously, we can develop that mindset where we feel, um, you know, we got to kind of meter it out to others because God's done the same to us. You know, it's not freely receive, freely give. Um, so that hinders our generosity, our liberal soul. <clears throat> so I did some research on giving, and interestingly, there's a lot of studies that have been done on um, types of people that give more. And uh, there's you can you can find it online. There's a lot of information that I've found on there. Um, well, I guess thinking sometimes, and I think we can develop the thought too that. You know, if I were wealthier, I would give a lot more, right? You know, if I won the lottery and I had a million dollars, I would give $800,000 to a a good cause, right? Um, Does it work that way? According to studies, it doesn't. Um, Studies show that the wealthy are generally less generous with the portion that they have than those of a moderate income. So, however, they did admit that the wealthy as a whole give far more than those of a moderate income, but in proportion to what they have, they give less. So, do you have to be wealthy to be generous? No, you don't. Like I said, studies show that those of moderate income give more in proportion than the wealthy. So I got a quote from a man that I don't know, uh, but I found it online, so I'm going to use his quote. Jim Callaway, a wealth bus- wealthy businessman, once said, making a lot of money and spending it on yourself is not a lot of fun. What is a lot of fun is to live modestly so that you can give to the common good That's where happiness really lies. Now, I don't know if this man's a Christian or not, but I think he did find a nugget of truth here. Though he's very wealthy, he found that he found fulfillment in making wealth but in giving it and living a modest lifestyle himself so that he can give. So I think that's a good example. So our stinginess or generosity can become a habit or a way of life. And bad habits are hard to change. I think it's how we regard giving of any form can become a habit, good or bad. Um, It's just, it's what what we do or we don't do, but it, it develops into a mindset if we repeatedly do one or the other. So let's develop a good habit. I'm going to read in second corinthians chapter 9 6 and 8 but this i say he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. <clears throat> so it's like, um, you know, there's some farmers here, We all, most of us gardens. You know that if you, if you cut your seeds in half, what you're going to plant, you're going to get probably half the crop, generally. Um, so it's just in... Uh, just in giving, if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. <clears throat> we can be very tight-fisted uh, with how we hold the blessings that God has given us. Now this is, uh, I'm trying to think where I got this from. Is it Robbie Zachariah or Zach Poonin? But he made a point that when a baby comes into the world, they're like this. They're, you know, they're tight-fisted. And everything's about themselves. When Jesus died on the cross, he spread his hands out and opened them. So he sets as an example uh, not to be the tight, uh, tight-fisted baby, but to open her hands and give herself like Jesus did. Perhaps we live our lives too much as stingy Christians because we believe in a small God that is not able to provide for us if we give what we possess. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's very, very true. And that leads me on to the next point. Number four, the vastness of our supply in God. And, you know, maybe we could just forget the whole topic of giving and being generous. And if we could just focus on who God is, like Andrew said this morning, if we knew the character of God, it might change your whole perspective. So maybe I'm getting the cart before the horse here. But, so I wanted to just hear this last topic is focus on the vastness of our supply in God. And I think if we see God's generosity, God's vast supply, um... God's love, God's sacrifice—it should promote it or uh, inspire us to do the same. <clears throat> so I'm going to be trying to focus on that here at the last. First Timothy six. Uh, does say, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So, what I read here is about... Uh, Being rich in good works, uh, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. But just before that, if you take notice here, it says about the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So if we can see our God as a rich giver that gives us all things to enjoy, that maybe we'll feel more free to give To our brother. Psalm 24 says. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded upon the seas. And established it upon the floods. The earth is the Lord's. um, And if it's his. And he owns it all. Then we should have no lack. It it reminded me of George Mueller. I think most of us are familiar with George Mueller. He had an orphanage, and he had resolved that he would never ask people for support, for financial support. And he went strictly by faith, trusting that God would provide for him. And God never failed him. They might have had the, the kitchen cupboard was empty, but there was food on the way. <clears throat> so I think, um, I think he discovered something that I would like to discover more. Um, it's just to believe that God will provide all our needs. We don't, we don't need to feel like we got to meter out um, what we impart to others because God's metering it out to us. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. We're not restrained on God's side of the equation. So it's not God that's, that's lacking. If God owns all the earth, why do we think we would run out if we're doing his work? <clears throat> Luke six thirty-eight says, Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, withal it shall be measured to you again. It just reminds me, there was a brother uh, that we went to church with up in Wisconsin, and he's, he told me a couple of times that he was convinced that you cannot outgive God. And I thought it was kind of a unique way. You cannot outgive God. So um, I wanted to focus on the, the largeness of God. And uh, just allow these verses to soak in at God's largeness, His vastness, that you may be of all of Him. Instead of seeing your insufficiency, insufficiency, you can see His all-sufficiency. I'm going to read in Isaiah 40. <clears throat> and this one is, is just packed full. Just let it soak in. I'm going to start at verse 9. Through to the end. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God." Behold the Lord God will come with a strong with strong hand and his arm shall rule for you for him behold his reward is with him and his work before him he shall feed his flock like a shepherd he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. If you really get the picture of what he's saying here, you begin to see how big God is. He measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and uh, you just think of the the earth is. I'm not sure—is it two thirds or three quarters water, something like that, mostly water. Uh, this says he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. This is your God. This is how big he is. Verse thirteen: Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and shewed to him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity. To whom then will he liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known, have ye not heard, Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, "'Yea, they shall not be sown. "'Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, "'and he shall also blow upon them. "'And they shall wither, "'and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. "'To whom then will ye liken me, "'or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? "'Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, "'who hath created these things, "'that bringeth out their hosts by number? "'He calleth them all by names, "'by the greatness of his might.' For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why saith thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. <clears throat> I was just blessed by this chapter. You just get a picture of how big God is and how all-sufficient He is. I know one man uh, said how he likes to go out under a starry night and just stare up into the open heavens and see the vast stars and and the universe, and he said, after doing that, he's just like, there's nothing impossible. I can do anything with God. <laughs> I've always appreciated it. That was, I think that was Zach Poonin that would say that. <clears throat> I'm going to read in Matthew 7, 7 through 12. <clears throat> Ask, and it shall be given you, Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that man should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So here he says, we're to ask, and it will be given to us. We're to seek, and we will find. We're to knock, and it will be opened unto us. So, do we have need of anything? Maybe we're strictly limited by our faith. That line of thought, let's go to Mark 11 <clears throat> 22 and 24. And Jesus answered. Anthra- Answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them. And ye shall have them. With these promises and with a God so big, we should never feel like we are getting things metered out to us or we're running short. We should not feel restrained because our God is big. In Mark 9:24, Jesus said unto him, "If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth." So may, faith inspire us to action. We see the largeness of God and see the needs about us may it inspire us to action. In Mark 10, 27, and Jesus looking upon them saith, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. So if we're not feeling generous towards our fellow man, we can be assured that it is not because God is lacking in his provisions and ability. Out of Isaiah 58 here in closing. <clears throat> so Isaiah 58, as you probably know, is um, Isaiah here is speaking to a religious people that were... Um, doing their religious things. They were seeking the Lord daily. They were fasting. And he goes to instruct them about an acceptable fast. Um, They were fasting for strife and debate, smiting with the fist of wickedness. And he said, this is how... This is the fast that I've chosen. Is not this the fast that I have chosen... To lose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shalt thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul that thou... Then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places, thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations." And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of path to dwell in. And I'll stop right there. So I hope this is an encouragement um, that you may be a liberal soul that's made fat. The Lord bless you with that.